Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Three people and you're going to have four weeks to do something. <laughs> it started out of pure stubbornness, which is great. <laughs> Without necessarily meaning to, I think we found this quite interesting niche. No, we did some stuff, and the fact that it's invisible means it works. <laughs> I think art is encoded knowledge and uh, experience. At that time, we were really fascinated by the whole transmedia concept. That was it, not the time-travelling robot idea that we had. Hello, I am Sam Fry, and welcome to the Technique Podcast, the show where we speak to artists about technology. In today's episode, I interview a designer, researcher, and artist who works in the world of design fiction. Here is Amina Abbas Nazari. So, my name is Amina Abbas Nazari, and I'm a researcher, designer, and artist. So, I'm currently studying a PhD in the School of Communication, the Royal College of Art. And it's funded by Techne, a particular corner of Techne called the National Productivity Investment Fund. I met Amina through my work at IBM, as IBM are partnering with her on a PhD in the area of artificial intelligence and voice. But whereas the work I do there has very clear and practical business goals, Amina works in the world of design fiction, which is essentially where you design an artifact so that you can explore and critique possible future scenarios. Essentially saying, if we create X, what would that mean for the world? We get into the concept of design fiction later, and also Amina's studies at the Royal College of Art, her singing, and some of the experiments that she is performing. But before we get into that, we started by talking about how Amina got interested in art. So I guess this has always been part of my life in a way. My dad is a photographer. And actually, I kind of grew up in an art school because he would pick me up from primary school and I'd go and hang out with him in the technical stores with all the equipment and play around with all the things he had there. And then that also means that I've been surrounded by a lot of makers and designers. So I've always been interested in design and that's my kind of background, really. I studied product and furniture design, first of all, at Kingston University And then I went on to do my master's at the Royal College of Art in a particular course called Design Interactions. This course doesn't really exist anymore, but actually it really propelled this idea, this philosophy of how design could be used in different ways. So design can be used not necessarily to make new products or make products and services more efficient, but actually how can we use design to question the way we use technology, especially emerging technologies and also science. So some of you might have heard about things such as design fiction or speculative design or critical design. This is kind of the realm that I'm working in, in a way. I guess I'm particularly interested in the interactive aspects of this, how humans engage with technology, how that kind of affects our lives, 
influences our lives, changes our behaviors, the way we communicate with each other and interact with each other. But my PhD in particular is looking at artificial intelligence and voice. So this is kind of becoming more of a prominent theme now with technologies such as Siri and Alexa, for example. But I've actually been researching in the areas of emerging technology and voice for a while. And this comes from the fact that I also have a background as a singer, but this is through a more kind of informal education. So I learned to sing through singing with different choirs. And actually, when I was growing up, I was very lucky that the town that I grew up in had one of the world's best children's choirs, which is kind of (laughs) complete coincidence. But it meant that I really got a great understanding of how to use my voice, how to perform, how to sing with others in a choir and read music. And so now these two worlds have sort of collided within the formality of this PhD mixing how we can start to maybe incorporate voice as a material within design realms and especially for investigating in this case artificial intelligence when you say voice as a material what do you mean by that well i think it comes from my natural way of working as a designer and then so i start to think about the voice and speech through its material qualities. How can you shape it? How can you form it? Because especially as a singer, you're not just communicating words, you're communicating sounds. And there's kind of mixtures of words, sounds, language. How do all those things go together to communicate maybe an emotion, an idea, a feeling? And so often, you know, if you think about the voice, but especially the singing voice or a sung voice, Things like texture, tone, timbre, pitch, speed, rhythm, these are all aspects of voice which we don't necessarily think about when we're speaking because speaking is more about communicating in the most efficient way. But using the voice through singing is a bit more nuanced, a bit more poetic. So I'm sort of in looking at this little realm between speaking speech and sound and how we might yeah use the voice as a material does that make sense <laughs> i think so so when you say material because you're you've got these layerings and you've got these choices to be made in terms of of what combinations you make in the same way as you would have choices if you were to make a piece of furniture you could make it out of wood but you don't need to you could make it out of steel you could make it out of different materials so yeah you can think of the voice as almost like a piece of clay. For me, it's not that different because I'm very much used to using my voice in in different ways for different projects. The voice is actually being shaped all the time. It's shaped by your body, this kind of internal architecture, the size of your chest, the kind of structure within your throat, the way you shape your mouth. So The voice is being shaped by the body internally, but we can also say that the voice is being shaped by an external architecture. So I don't know whether you can hear, but you can probably guess from the sound of this recording that I'm in a kind of smallish room. I'm not in a cathedral and I'm not in a library. I'm not in a train station. My voice is also being shaped by an external architecture. 
Beyond that, we can also start to think about how our voices are shaped by, for example, technology. So the way you interact with the voice assistant is different to the way you might interact with a friend. We're constantly sort of shaping the way we use our voice, the way we pronounce things, the way we articulate things. And so I think for me then, especially as a designer, it makes sense to think of the voice as a material. And that's kind of really shaping my research at the moment. Can you tell me a bit more about the research you're doing and what particular areas you're looking at? Yeah, I'm kind of interested in, yeah, the voice as a material, but I'm looking at it sort of through a lens of poetics because I think that can be a term which combines these different areas. And then I want to think about how poetics of voice can be used to speculate on alternative possibilities for AI interactions, especially in communication technology. So I kind of look at different emerging possibilities of AI technology, but then rearrange them slightly in their structure to present them in a different perspective or suggest a different possibility for the way we might use that particular technology. What do you mean by poetics? For me, at the moment, I'm using this term poetics to think about, yeah, the more material qualities of voice, and in particular, the sonic qualities of voice. So the aspects of communication, which are not necessarily portrayed through words, but portrayed through the sound of the words, such as the texture, the timbre, the resonance, all these other um, qualities which are changing and shaping the voice. So one particular project that I've been working on recently is thinking about the sound of synthesized voices. So not necessarily what they say, but what they sound like. And I've been considering how synthesized voices, you can't tell where they're emanating from and because they're not really attached to any physical location or physical time. But for humans, when we speak, through the sound of the voices, you can kind of get a sense of maybe the location of this person because of the way architecture has an effect on the voice. So I've been doing some experiments by treating synthesized voices with different kind of acoustics to locate them in different places, spaces and time, and thinking about how this might affect the way we interact with these voices, these synthesized voices, how we perceive them as entities, how that might change the way we communicate with them, but not thinking about how we make it more streamlined or more efficient or not necessarily those sort of things, but just sort of nuances of how we could think about these voices in different ways. How are you gathering those together? Are you Is that someone going into those different spaces to do those recordings or is it playing a recording into different spaces how does that work that could be a way to do it you could do that with generating an impulse response from an existing space but i've also been interested in how these voices do sort of exist in spaces which don't necessarily exist they might be fictional so i'm using a a plug-in as part of a, what's the word? Like on a garage band or something. Yeah, so I'm just using like a sound editing program, but with a particular plugin where you can actually draw spaces in 3D 
and say what material it might be made out of, and then it will generate the acoustics of that space. And for me, that's quite exciting because it means that this space doesn't actually have to exist in real life. I can start to manipulate it with my own sort of creative ideas in a way, because what does the architecture of a neural network sound like, for example? And is there a way we could start to sort of design that to imagine it in a way? Yeah, a lot of my work is sort of sitting in a slightly fictional space, a place that doesn't quite exist, but it's intentional because by asking people to be imaginative and engage in an imaginative way, it kind of gets people to question why things are the way that they are and the way that they are currently within here, now, today, the status quo. So I think fiction and storytelling and speculation can be really useful tools within design and within other realms to just get people to think a bit more critically or creatively or imaginatively about the way we use technology, why we use it in those ways, and are there other ways we could use technology? Do you see that having a practical outcome or is it for a different kind of purpose? No, is the answer. There's no practical outcome, <laughs> which may sound very strange in that we normally associate design with fixing problems, creating solutions, making things more streamlined. But in the particular realm that I work in, let's just call it design fiction, we use design as a way to communicate ideas of different possibilities or different imaginaries. I think the best way to explain it is it's a bit like science fiction, but it uses design. So instead of using literature to tell stories, we use design to tell stories. It's not like we present complete fantasy. It's a bit more of a way to help ourselves, but also other people question the way we use different technologies or different science, you know. It's there to to help influence or inspire other work, right? By taking something to its extreme or to a different direction to what a practical solution might have that might give someone a an inspiration to go, okay, actually, although that might not be a reality right now, this thing that's related to that might be, and actually that could be a different direction of of exploring AI in the first place. Exactly. I mean, also, we quite often say that we're being critical of technology. And obviously, the word critical and criticism is kind of perceived as negative or bad. I'm not trying to sort of trash technology and, and say that it's bad. I'm fascinated by technology. But I think there's a million different things we could do with it, but we're not really exploring all those avenues. So by kind of using a, what we could say a critical lens of the way we view these technologies, my aim is to suggest new possibilities for the way we use technology and think about technology. What kind of things do you think we could be doing that we're not doing? I feel like, unfortunately, a lot of technology falls into 
furthering consumerism, furthering surveillance. But I've been thinking recently about how we can use AI recognition technology to allow people to explore their own ideas of identity within the space of kind of manipulating recognition technologies to allow people to explore yeah, more about their identity and the way that they're perceived by themselves and by others, how recognition technologies could potentially open a creative space to allow an individual to be perceived in many multiple ways. I mean, this kind of exists already in terms of the internet, but how we can have multiple personas through these technologies. I mean, especially now, you know, our lives kind of exist through Zoom and we have, we only get the chance to show like the top of our bodies. How can we like be a bit more expressive in a digital realm, perhaps? That's a really interesting because over the last few months working pretty much completely digitally, I mean, I've met a lot of people that I haven't met physically. I have only met them digitally. And those people I automatically associate with the space that they occupy when they join a Zoom meeting. So you're seeing me in a room right now. I'm now associated in your mind with the room I'm in, probably in, in some way. And there are people that I only ever see them in a particular room, in a particular angle. And that room tells you a little bit about that person, potentially, that you, you wouldn't otherwise have. And there is something interesting about the way that we are also professionally we're blurring some of the boundaries between someone's professional life and their home life because you're seeing people in their homes. Yeah. I mean, this is a slightly different project, but I think another example to sort of explain the way I work is a project that I call speculative listening. And I guess, yeah, this project is more about uh, listening as a form of communication rather than voicing as a form of communication. So this project normally exists as a workshop, which I've run with families, children from aged four, with students, curators and educational professionals. And it's kind of thinking about, well, technology allows us to listen and hear things in many different ways, which we wouldn't ordinarily be able to hear with just the use of our human ears, right? You can think about how satellites help us to hear outer space sounds and a stethoscope can allow you to hear the sound of your heart. But these are sounds that you can't ordinarily hear in everyday life. So I kind of ask people, I propose them with a question, you know, if you'd, what would you like to be able to hear that you just can't ordinarily? And then think about how that could become reality through using technology. The ideas people present are wild and exciting and it makes me think you know if perhaps technology was a bit more directed or influenced by individuals it might actually be far more <laughs> exciting than it is so for example you know I had a four-year-old he was telling me oh I want to be able to hear what spiders sound like what do spiders sound like what noises do they make and then suddenly you're thinking well yeah if we could hear spiders Perhaps we perceive them in a completely different way than we do ordinarily. Someone else wanted to be able to hear inside of their body to kind of understand their menstruation better, because obviously for people, it can really affect their mood and their behaviors and the way of sort of perceiving the world. But if she was able to listen to her ovaries, 
perhaps you'd get a better sense of how am I going to feel today? How am I going to feel tomorrow? One kid wanted to hear the sound of a black hole. What does a black hole sound like? Someone wanted to understand what different pain in the body sounds like. Because sometimes you don't, you don't necessarily feel pain. You experience pain in a not necessarily like a physical way. So what if you can hear it and then pinpoint it? It might help us to understand ourselves and our bodies and our behaviours better or differently. So I'm always thinking there's so many exciting things we can do with technology. We've actually made it perhaps a little bit boring. <laughs> so how do we find more exciting possibilities for these things? And actually, if you propose these ideas to the public and put them in a uh, put them in an imaginative space they actually come up with pretty good ideas in a way. You just have to kind of move them in a place which is reality, but not quite reality, you know? And that's where these ideas of fiction, storytelling and speculation can come in really handy. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to hear a spider. I'm, I'm Maybe I would. Spiders, you know, but perhaps if we could hear them and they make cute noises or they're saying, I'm scared of you as well. You just perceive them completely differently. But perhaps they are really scary, and that's why we're scared of them. What's next for you in terms of your research? What are you planning to do in, in terms of progressing the PhD and further exploration in voice and AI? Yes, so at the moment I seem to be doing lots of little experiments I'm kind of doing a series of iterations of things, but the idea is that these will build into much bigger projects. And the overall aim for me always is to present them to the public, to have some kind of form of participation or interaction from the public, because I think, or I really feel strongly that general people should be involved more in making decisions about technologies and I think there's different aspects to that. I think allowing people to have their voices heard about the ways in which we design and use technologies, but also encouraging them, kind of informing them a little bit of how different things work, how different things are created, how they're developed, informing them of these processes so that actually they do have a better understanding of perhaps how technology is designed, implemented and used. Because I feel like perhaps people are maybe not very confident about their understandings of technology. But then, yeah, when you put them in the space and say, what shall we do? What shall we make? They come up with really exciting ideas, um, which perhaps as a designer within a product team that has to fulfill a certain brief or have a certain outcome, you miss a lot of the potentials that technology presents. So I quite often work for different artists who get me to use my voice in very imaginative ways. And this is kind of helping me to think through the way we use our voices and also how I might use the voice for this research so I recently did a project and the artist asked me, you know, what does a, what might a nebula sound like? What does the Milky Way sound like? I had to try and imagine this impossible task, right? But I think by being put in that situation and thinking, you have to really think and feel this thing 
and then to try and communicate it. I think the process of actually thinking about communicating this impossible object means more than the sound in the end. So that was Amina Abbas Nazari. Personally, I'm quite new to some of the concepts that Amina mentioned in this episode, such as what design fiction is and the idea of speculative design. Yet, it was great to speak to Amina and learn from someone that is very much working in this world. If you are interested in finding out more about Amina and her work, this is how you can. I think a good way to see what I've been working on recently and in the past is my website. So it's just aminanazari.com. You can see a range of my projects there and, and also contact information. Thanks again to Amina for being interviewed as part of this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening. If you did enjoy it, then please do subscribe and also give it a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Myself and Richard have actually recently been speaking about some exciting changes that we will be making to this podcast over the next few months, so look out for those. But also, if you do have any ideas of how we can improve this show, then please let us know. The best way is to get us on Twitter, where our handle is at Technique UK. Otherwise, we will be back again next month with a new episode. In the meantime, take care of yourself. Goodbye. Design thinking has exploded into the workplace of the 21st century, putting humans at the heart of design. Or does it? Isn't it just the post-it note workshops? More importantly though, where did it come from? How did it become such a massive industry? And where on earth is it going? Is design thinking what is taught in design schools? And can it be used as a philosophy for the future? Find out more as we, Richard Adams and Sam Fry, explore these ideas with experts in the field on our first Technique mini-series about design thinking. Subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss an episode.